Hello, Kate Jones here, and this is the Love to Teach podcast. I am a history teacher, a middle leader, author, blogger, and now I am entering into the world of educational podcasts. Welcome to the third episode of the Love to Teach podcast. And this week there is a back to school theme because obviously it's September, it's the time when students and teachers are starting a new academic year. It can be daunting, but it's also really exciting. And I'm really happy to be back in the classroom teaching lessons and meeting all of my new classes. I've also started at a new school as well, so it's very busy, but I'm full of enthusiasm because I love the school so far. Everything's been absolutely amazing so that's great and in this episode I will be offering some advice about how to stay organized because I think that could be a problem when we start back to school we've been out of a routine we might feel overwhelmed with lots of jobs and things we have to do so being organized will help with this a lot and then the second section will be on focusing on how to start a lesson. What I think are the best ways to start a lesson based on my own experiences in the classroom, but also based on the research that I have been reading as well. Organisation does require effort, but I do believe that it's really important to be organised both in our personal and our professional lives and for me I find there's lots of benefits of being organised it can just make me feel better more prepared more confident and then when I'm not organised I know I can feel quite flustered I can get angry at myself for forgetting things and I think just being organised in general can reduce stress and anxiety whether you're a classroom teacher with a busy timetable. I know how important it is to be organised, to make sure you're ready for your lessons, just to make that day go by smoother. And also as a leader, a middle or a senior leader, we have lots of deadlines to meet, we have things to consider, to schedule, and being organised is a really important part of our role. And also when we're organised, that's good for the team that we're leading to lead by example so that they too are also organized so here's just some of my top tips for being organized and the first top tip probably seems really obvious but it's to have a to-do list because if I don't have a to-do list and I don't write something down then I'll probably forget it not always but there are times where I've thought oh no I forgot to do this thought I should have written it down Now, whilst that might seem obvious, or lots of teachers have their lists that they work through, I think there are also a few sort of hacks, shall we say, or tips that we can make our to-do list even more effective. So the first point I said was about writing it down, but also think about where are you writing your to-do list? I see lots of teachers writing notes on their hands, which isn't the best idea, is it really? Some people do write it in a book, which is great if it works for them. Uh, I had a friend, Louise, and she used to always have this yellow book and she would write everything down and she always had a book with her in school. So if anything came to mind, she'd put it in a book or before a meeting, she'd look at her book and that worked great for her. 
I used to write notes on a post-it note and that wasn't good because I would end up losing the post-it note. So what I do now is I write my to-do list in my phone. There are apps you can download for free uh, if you type in organisation or to-do list, but I just use the notes app. I have the iPhone and in the notes, I just write anything that I need to do there. Just a brief point because I tend to have my phone with me and I won't write this during a letter and go on my phone, but in the morning, I will check my phone throughout the day and when I'm not at school, I have my phone on me. So if something comes to mind, I think, right, I'll write that down now and I I use a to-do list for lots of things but as well as having a secure place for your to-do list I think it's also important that our to-do lists are realistic and I say this based on my own experience so last year I was teaching and I was a middle leader and I was also writing my very first book so I was very busy and then I was doing other things such as speaking at conferences and I was involved with Twitter chats and things like that. So I needed to have these to-do lists but reflecting now I realise I was way too ambitious. I remember writing a to-do list and this included things I had to do for my school job whether that's write reports or things like that and then it might include things I had to do at home, ironing or washing or go food shopping. And then it would include things about my book. And I used to write things like write the literacy chapter and that would be on my to-do list. Well, that's way too ambitious. I, I could never just write a chapter in one sitting. And, you know, and then I'd reach the end of the day and I've still got things on my to-do list. I'd be like, oh no, I haven't done that. Being quite hard on myself. Whereas now I, I'm just much more realistic and I think more carefully about the time that jobs will take me to do because sometimes they take longer than we expect and we don't want to spend all day working through our to-do list we want to reach a point in the day or the evening where we just stop and relax so make sure your to-do list is realistic and if you've got lots of jobs then spread it out is it a to-do list for today or things you need to do for tomorrow for the week and that leads me um, onto my next point about a time management strategy called the Eisenhower matrix or also known as the urgent important matrix Eisenhower after the president because apparently this is the strategy he used to stay organized and it was in the early years of my career that my head teacher Rosemary Jones at the time in Wales she actually showed me this matrix and told me how she used this because we had a conversation and I think I might have been an NQT actually where I was quite upset really because I was at a stage in my career where I had a lot of A level and, and GCSE classes and I, I was new to teaching and it was just overwhelming and I was going home and I was working and if I wasn't working I was thinking about working or if I wasn't working I was feeling guilty about the things that I still had left to do and I realized that 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 wasn't healthy that wasn't good that wasn't a way for me to continue and she was a great person to talk to because obviously as a head teacher she had a very busy schedule so the fact that she opened up and said, look, Kate, I, I'm busy, but I make time for my friends and my family and my commitments, and this is how I do it. And the matrix is basically a diagram that's divided up 
and it makes you consider whether tasks on your to-do list are important or urgent or both or neither. So basically, if something could be categorised as important and urgent, then that should be do first, do now, top of your to-do list. So if there was um, an incident with a parent that was important, you have to deal with that within 24 hours. So that's urgent, that comes to the top of your list. If it's something to do with your lesson, being ready for your lesson, next lesson or tomorrow, then that becomes important and urgent. But if you've got a task that is very important, but it's not necessarily urgent, then you can move it down your to-do list. So say, for example, if you're a middle leader, and I'm just thinking now, lots of middle leaders in September will be completing their exam analysis. It's a very important task to do, and it's likely you'll be given a deadline. Now, we're at the start of September. If your deadline is the end of the month, then you know that that task is important, but it's not urgent right now. It does need to be done, and it's important not to leave it too late because if you're in a situation where everything is important and urgent, then that could become quite stressful. So if you could try and do things on your to-do list before they reach the urgent point, then that's even better. So the exam analysis could be something that I work on, but if then something else pops up that is urgent and that takes priority, that's fine. If there's something else on your list which is urgent but less important, could you delegate it or could you ask somebody else? If it doesn't have to be you, it's not important in that sense. Or if it's um, photocopying, for example, which uh, let's just say it's urgent because you need them for your lessons, but that's not a job you necessarily have to do. Perhaps you have a Reaper graphics team um, who are able to photocopy. That's just an example I'm thinking of the top of my head. But if it's urgent and it needs doing, uh, but it's less important to the point where it doesn't have to be you personally who does it and you're in a position to delegate or you've got people around you who can support you, then, then do that. If it's not important and it's not urgent, does it really need to be done? And there's lots of things I can think of on my schedule which could be considered as not important or not urgent but they're things that I do still consider important let's just take this podcast for example if it got to a point in a week where I was so busy and my to-do list you know was very intense I could simply say oh no podcast this week I'm busy and I'm sure teachers would fully understand and you know, other than maybe some listeners being disappointing and I would be disappointed in not doing a podcast, but everything would be fine. It's something that I do that is extra. The same with my, if I've got a tweet that I want to write, but actually it, it's not urgent and it's not really important. So I can either leave it and push it aside or it could be something that I could just scrap together. Okay, if I was really struggling with workload, then... I would look, okay, how could I reduce my workload? Then the extra things I do that are not important and not urgent would be the first to go. Although I do love this podcast, so it is quite important to me, but I think you understand the point. So that's a great time management strategy and tool 
check it out, um, Google it, the Eisenhower Matrix. There's also a few videos online with people explaining the diagram and how they've applied it um, in their lives as well, not just teachers, but I do think it's really useful. And then a few more tips I have in regards to organisation, and this is something that I've been working on just this week, is making sure that I am very prepared the night before. This is something in the past I've done and then I forgot about and I've just realized how much it does help. So things you can do the night before, that might be prepare your lunch so you're not rushing in the morning or that's one less job to do in the morning and then maybe a bit more sleep time in the morning, which is great. Have your outfit ready so you have to wake up and think, oh, I've got to get the iron, I've got to do this. Uh, that's something I like to do. My school bag's always ready. A small thing, but I always keep my keys now. I have a little key jar, key pot, um, because something that was happening previously was I'd be waking up in the morning, I'd be trying to make my lunch and get everything ready, and I'd be busy, busy, and then I'd think, oh, I'm ready to go. Where are my keys? Where did I put my car keys? And then I'm looking around my apartment, and then obviously I find the keys, but it's just not a great start to the day. Whereas if everything is ready, it's just a smooth start to the day, which is what you want. You want the day to get off to a good start, feeling positive, feeling organized. So having things prepared in advance helps greatly. And then when you have things prepared in advance, then you can control what's on your urgent list. As a teacher, things will happen that are out of side of our control that become urgent an incident in school for example you know that you didn't plan but these things happen and that's fine that's part of our job but all the other things we can prepare so that we're not doing them last minute we're not in that stressful situation and like I said about the keys keeping things tidy and organized can also help something I need to do this is where I'm not being very organized, is my desktop on my Mac. Basically, I've been saving everything to the desktop. And if you look at my screen, it's not easy now to find things. So I need to spend some time creating folders and becoming organized there. So instead of spending about five minutes squinting, looking at the screen, everything will be neatly stored away in a folder and I can quickly find it and access it so sometimes these things are easier said than done but it's small things like this that can make a big difference the best way to start a lesson this was a chapter in my book and I did stress that what I suggested the best ways to start a lesson I'm not saying that I believe they are the only way to start a lesson because context is key when I began teaching, the focus of a lesson opener, starter, was engagement and something exciting and a hook for learning. And whilst there's nothing wrong with engagement and getting students excited about learning, the problem was that tasks were losing the focus on learning and they were engagement rich, but learning poor. So they were great fun, but they might not have anything to do with the lesson. And I'm sure not everybody did that. I'm guilty of that. I've seen some teachers who've shared resources online where I haven't quite understood how it's linked to the learning. And that's probably because there was so much emphasis on engagement. Whereas now that's shifted. 
Um, and that's thanks to be the profession becoming more research and evidence informed. Now, you may or may not be familiar with Professor Rob Coe. He previously worked at Durham University, and I had the privilege to listen to Rob Coe present when I was at the Festival of Education at Wellington College a few years ago. And Rob Coe has also written about this, about engagement being a poor proxy for learning. And also Graham Nuttall, if you haven't read his book, it's wonderful, The Hidden Lives of Learners. He also wrote about this as well, saying just because students are engaged and they're busy and there's a you know, calm atmosphere in the classroom, they all look great and they are things we want to achieve, calm and busy, focused students, but it doesn't mean that students are actually learning, which obviously, how could we that not be our priority, really? I mean priority is the health and safety of our children but then it's the learning yes we want them to be engaged but they are here to learn so now the emphasis tends to be on retrieval practice but before I get to that there's one other thing that I think is really important to ensure a great start to a lesson and that is having routines firmly in place and established so as it's the start of year you might want to spend a little bit of time explaining your routines and enforcing your routines and that might happen outside of the classroom when the class wait for you or it might be that they come in and they stand behind their tables different schools have different routines and expectations but it's really important to get these routines in place so then they become effortless and they will help your lesson get off to a smooth start and it can really help with behavior management as well. So retrieval practice. If you're not familiar with this term, um, it's likely you're familiar with the strategy, you may not have just heard the term, but retrieval practice refers to the act of bringing information from memory to mind. So that could be either answering verbally or through a written answer. And it has to be information that students are already familiar with, information that's already in their long-term memory. And every time they retrieve and recall that information, it changes the memory and it should make it easier to retrieve and recall next time. So it's a really powerful learning strategy. Now, the argument could be with teachers have been using quizzes for years, yes, Yes, we have. I've been using quizzes uh, and tests throughout my career, but more so as a measuring tool or at the end of a unit rather than a learning tool. And that's the other thing about retrieval practice is that it should be low stakes or no stakes. So there isn't stress attached to it because the test in effect, as it's also known, or constant testing, that can have quite negative connotations. But when we think about um, a quiz, like quizzes that I'll talk about today or an activity, they can still be engaging and enjoyable and challenging, but they are there to improve long-term memory. So some tips for, in regards to retrieval practice, and Tom Sherrington has written about this, is there's a blog post on his website, teacherhead.com, where he writes about vary the diet, uh, mix it up. And I agree with this. There are simple knowledge tests you could use with question and answers, and they are great. But I think that we shouldn't rely on that every single lesson. And there's so many fabulous uh, re retrieval activities out there. If you follow Adam Boxer on Twitter, he created a retrieval roulette for science, and now that's been 
adapted for other subjects and I'll share two of my favorite retrieval activities today as well but before I do that another point I want to stress is and again Tom Sherrington's wrote about this and this is something I wrote about when I was reflecting and that's providing retrieval opportunities for everyone in the classroom because previously when I was doing snazzy starters as an NQT shall we say I would ask the class oh let's recap what we did last lesson and hands would go up and let's just say Emily would answer and if it was a great answer I'd say well done Emily maybe talk about it a little bit more and then move on now Emily had to retrieve that information Emily verbally answered but she did all the work for everyone else in the class and that was a missed retrieval opportunity not everyone in the class actually retrieved that information maybe not everyone in the class could remember but Emily could and then I moved on so now I make sure I I don't do that but whatever the retrieval practice task activity is I ensure that it involves every single member of the class so the first activity I'm going to share with you is something called Retrieval Practice Challenge Grid. And there is a blog about this on my website, lovetoteach87.com. I created this grid, which will have different questions and different questions are worth different amounts of points. So if it's a question based on last lesson quite recently, that would be worth one point. If it was based on last week, that could be worth two points. If it was two weeks ago or a month ago that could be three and if it was further back so harder to retrieve that's worth four points and I have seen some versions of this retrieval grid where they've asked a question from last lesson last week last month last year so this also combines spaced practice and if you're keen to find out more about both retrieval practice and space practice then i highly recommend following the learning scientists they're on twitter at test, and they've got their own website learningscientists.org so that's just a really simple uh, activity there's free templates that you can download there's a link on my website Um, It's something that I've had to think carefully about with my question design and it's interesting to see which questions students uh, will try and tackle but again the strength of retrieval practice it shows students what they know and what they don't know. It shows what they are able to recall confidently but it addresses gaps in their knowledge as well and things that they struggle to recall. So that's useful for the teacher and for our planning but also for the student and that's something that I'm explaining to my students as a class they may have different gaps in their knowledge that we've identified they need to be doing something especially older students if they've recognized that there's content or a unit that they're struggling to retrieve information to recall then they can do something about that that can you know they can act on that And then in addition to the retrieval grids, I'll just talk very quickly because I am very mindful that I want this podcast to be quite short and brief as you're perhaps driving home from work. But it's quizzes, quiz I double Z. There's loads of online tools for quizzing. There's Kahoot, there's Plickers, there's Quizlet, Nearpod, absolutely loads. But this quizzes is my favorite easily. It's a multiple choice quiz. It's really easy for the teacher to use. It's free. 
it you can use it on browser or as an app students enjoy it as well it records all your results so even though it's low stakes if you do want to keep the data you've got it there there's just so many features on quizzes that i think make this the best quizzing tool so if you haven't checked it out then please do and actually i'm currently in the process of editing my book which is all about retrieval practice it's about the research i've read and then it's about how i've applied that research to the classroom and how i have created uh, different types of resources to promote retrieval practice at the start of my lesson so more information to follow about my book which is very exciting and I hope you found that useful